You put a hot tub in your living room? Oh, it's a beauty. It's got these high-volume Accusage jets, oscillating and pulsating, soothing your every aching muscle. That water's going to get over 120 degrees. Is that tolerable? Oh, it's tolerable. Isn't that the same temperature of the coffee that scalded you? Well, I think it's a little cooler than that. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Steven, you bastard. You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You bastard. When are you coming back to Melbourne? <laughs> When are you coming back to Melbourne? When are the Yankees coming to Melbourne? You tell that son of a bitch that no Yankee will step foot in Melbourne. Oh shit, it's my boss, Willem. No! He doesn't say her shit. No, he doesn't. I swear with No. Oh well, but he gets uh, he gets pretty flustered when he sees Wilhelm. He does, he does. He does. Welcome, to, welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This week, uh, in case you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about Season 7's The Hot Tub. Uh, and we can't wait to talk about the secondary characters uh, in this episode uh, to all of you sons of bitches and bastards <laughs> out there. That's right. Man. That's right. How did he know? <laughs> it was in secret, Jerry. <laughs> you should tell him. Yes, my name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And, uh, yeah, so Stephen uh, isn't feeling too well this week, so uh, we're going to do it over Skype, something which Stephen doesn't really enjoy too much, but, uh, why not, you know... Where there's a will, there's a way, and it's still got to be done, and we love doing the podcast, so uh, we thought, why not? Let's do it over Skype. Well, it was either that or no episode, and uh, that's just not an option, so yes. I think you are meant to say where there's a Wilhelm, there's a way. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I keep forgetting these idioms and expressions and stuff. You know, I get them confused. So, you know, yeah, you just can't keep up. You know, it's, uh, raining, it's, it's raining deer and ostriches, you know, those kind of idioms. You know, I get them confused all the time. That's it. That's it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C podcast, gmail.com. Uh, we're on all social media uh, at bidwabask. We've got a website, bidwabask.com. Uh, we do have a new website up, which is pretty exciting. Yes, it uh, is. Yeah, and uh, we're on Reddit as well. So if you want to say hello on Reddit, we do some postings on there, which is pretty cool. And finally, we're on Patreon, patreon.com uh, forward slash bidwabask. And if uh, you sign up for our or any one of our tiers, you get uh, extra uh, extra content depending on what you pay and what you want. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to swing a few dollars our way to help support the show and keep it going, then uh, by all means, be our guest. That's right. That's right. Um, and if you do listen on uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere, uh, make sure you hit subscribe. It's, uh, it, it benefits us a lot. Uh, and uh, you don't miss an episode. So that would be awesome. That's right. You can listen to new episodes and some old ones. That's right. Indeed. So uh, today we're talking about, from Season 7, Episode 5, The Hot Tub. And, uh, boy, it makes me feel warm just thinking about being in a hot tub. What do you think of those, Steve? Do you like uh, do you like being in hot tubs? Yeah, I don't mind a soak. Yeah. I don't like falling asleep in hot tubs, though. Yeah, of course. But, uh, and then it becomes 50 degrees Fahrenheit and you're freezing and <laughs> and you order tea from the uh, the diner. Tea, boiling hot. Boiling Paul Kramer. hot, yeah, the thing with hot tubs, I don't like getting in them if I see someone already in them or if I see someone getting out of them. Oh, okay. I, in my mind, they need to be fresh and unused. Yeah. Even though I know they're not, I just need, <laughs> I just don't want visual confirmation that other person, that another person has used them. Because all it's those all people's, people's, yeah, because all those people's microbes and organisms yeah. and diseases, yeah. they're all in the pool. But, but I guess yeah. the hot water would kill them. So it wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I know. Logically, it doesn't make sense. They're perfectly hygienic, but it's just one of those weird 
uh, weird hang-ups that you have, you know, where you can't really, <laughs> you, you know, it's, you know, it's not based on fact, but it's just there. It's, so it's just there. Of, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if, uh, if someone's already in a hot tub, they can stay there on their own. I'm not getting in. Okay. And you can listen to this podcast anytime and anywhere, especially in a hot tub, but just, uh, make sure you don't drop your phone or tablet or any other device in the water by accident because, uh, you'll be in a world of trouble. That's right. That's right. How, how will you listen to us? Exactly. Well, I guess they can just grab another device or just go on their computer, you know. There's other ways to do it. That's true. That's, That's true. It. Today's character, Steve, we're talking about uh, Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul, and also the bastards from Texas, <laughs> Clayton, Zeke, and Gardner. And, uh, yeah, they're the only notes that I have. Do you have any other notes on other characters today? Uh, I've got some notes on Sherry and just a couple on Wilhelm. Uh, we have covered him before when we did What's the Deal with the Yankee stuff Yep, uh, way back when, but uh, I just have a few notes about him in this episode. And also my boy Steinbrenner as well. He makes a little appearance at the end. He does. I don't have any notes, but I figured you'd mention him because he is your, your favourite. Yes, he's my boy. <laughs> he's your boy. That's uh, it. Now, before we talk about some secondaries, why don't we talk about some Seinfeld news? Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, two items in this week's Seinfeld news. Mm. Uh, the first is of interest to hockey fans. Uh, if you are a Pittsburghian, if that's the right name for people who live in Pittsburgh, <laughs> or if you're going to be in Pittsburgh uh, on February 19th, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they're the, uh, the, the hockey team for Pittsburgh, uh, are playing a game uh, and they're playing at the Prudential Centre, which I imagine is their home ground. Mm. Uh, and the first 9,000 fans in attendance for that game, will receive a special putty bobblehead. Oh, yes. How good is that? Yeah, I saw that. I was on YouTube and, and it said like putty um, bobblehead and I was like, what the hell is this? And it's like, yes, you can actually get one. It's freaking That's awesome, right. man. So, God. Yeah. So if you uh, happen to listen to this and you're in Pittsburgh um, or if you're thinking of going, I would encourage you to go to get that. And if you happen to get two of them, send them, send one over to us. We'd love to yes, have it in the studio. That'd be sick. That would be really awesome. Or at the very least, take a photo and send it to us yeah, if, uh, if you manage to get your hands on one or if you know someone. Uh, <laughs> that would be really fun to see. Um, and obviously, that's uh, a tribute and a reference to uh, Season 8, I think, or Season nine's Face Painter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's one uh, of those seasons, yes. Yeah, uh, where Putty, played by Patrick Warburton, paints his face to support uh, his much-loved Devils team. Devils! The Devils! Devils! Ah. That's right. So uh, that's pretty cool. That, that is that a nice little nod. That's yeah, nice. really fun. Yeah. Uh, now, the second bit of news is one of my favorite for a little while. It's pretty awesome. Um, uh, you sent this my way, actually. But yeah. I did find my searching as well. Oh, yes. I know, I know the one you're going to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So a man by the name of uh, David Osman. Osman. Oh, that's how you say it. <laughs> it's spelled Osman, A-S-S-M-A-N. It's German, uh, you know. That's right. He lives, he lives in Saskatchewan in Canada. And uh, recently he tried to get a personalized license plate that had his last name. Um, but the SGI, which is, I'm guessing, the, the, the regulatory body or the authority that, uh, you know, the transport authority or something like that, rejected his request because it was, quote, an unacceptable slogan. Um, he was pretty unhappy about it and he took his story to the news media um, and, you know, we're reporting on it, so mm. it's pretty significant. Um, he, he was pretty unhappy about it. He said, it's my last name, I've always had it, um, and that it has German roots. And even though it looks like it says Osman, like I said uh, before, it's pronounced uh, Osman. Osman, um, that's right. And he's trying Osman. to fight it. He's like, this is my name, it's my family heritage. What are you doing? That's right, that's right. Um, now... Uh, 
the SGI was um, asked for an explanation on why it was rejected, and their spokesperson, Tyler McMurchie, said the SGI does have guidelines for slogans and pointed to its website, uh, which says that the SGI won't approve license plates the general public may find, quote, offensive, suggestive, or not in good taste. Mm. If a word is someone's name and pronounced differently than the offensive version, that's not something that would be apparent to most other motorists who will see the plate. Um, the license plate review committee made up of employees will review, will review the, uh, uh, the appeal. Um, um, but, uh, McMurchie said the committee has upheld a decision to reject. Sorry, they did review it. Um, but, uh, the rejection was upheld. Um, yeah. And he did quote to the media that, um, he might fight it, but he said it, he, and I quote, I don't think that's going to happen because the SGI is the SGI. They'll do what they want anyway. If so, I if I knew this guy, I'd go up to him and say, you're the ass man. He's the Osman, yeah. He's the Osman, yeah. The Osman, yeah. The Osman, yeah. Did you see any, when you were in Germany recently, Steve, did you see any uh, Osmans around? Uh, I might have. I didn't know the last names. Okay. I didn't see any Osman signs, but okay. I may have seen someone with the name Osman, and I wasn't even aware of it. <laughs> that would have been cool. Bisco and Osman, you would say. Are you the Osman? Are you the Osman? <laughs> yeah, Bisco. yeah, and danke. Bisco and Osman, yeah. Ah, Osman, yeah, danke, danke. Yeah, ich bin ein Osman. Ich bin ein Osman. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, you know, we like to root for the little fella, and uh, although I understand um, the SGI's reasoning that most people, most motorists wouldn't understand that it is actually a German last name and it's not pronounced Arsman. Um, you know, in any David versus Goliath story, I always tend to, to go for the David. And in this case, there is a, a real life David. So David yeah. Asman. <laughs> David Asman versus Saskatchewan Goliath. Saskatchewan. So. It sounds like Bigfoot, Saskatchewan. <laughs> so what is it? Sasquatch, isn't it? Saskatchewan Goliath. Yeah, it's, that's right. It sounds like the Bigfoot. Yeah, it does. Always. <laughs> oh, nice. word. So, uh, yeah, good luck, David, and uh, we hope that you win your battle with the powers that be. Well done, ass man. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't sit on any fusilia, right? And you'll, no, be, uh, you'll right. be fine. I reckon we'll take a quick break, Steve, and uh, when we come back, there is a, a long synopsis for The Hot Tub, Season 7, Episode 5. And uh, today, like I mentioned before, we're talking about the secondary characters, Jean-Paul, Clayton, Zeke, and Gardner, the Texas bastards. They're the last three. Got a bit of trivia about the episode, Steve, and uh, also our usual bits and pieces after the episode. You know, like where the hot tub sits in our top episodes of all time, if any of the secondary characters are in our top 20 of all time, as well as some Seinfeldisms, if you have any, and uh, this week's Seinfeld trivia fact. I wanna be, I wanna be like Tim. Welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This week we're talking about Season 7's The Hot Tub. 
just taking you through some Seinfeld news, and uh, I was going to take you through an episode synopsis. Ah, oh, right. I'll, yes, I'll put on some my uh, Himalayan walking shoes and walk around <laughs> the dark, desolate streets and come up with something to write in a catalogue. <laughs> I guess I'll figure it out. But I've already got the synopsis written here, so I guess I'll go ahead. That'll do. First date in the US on October 19, 1995, The Hot Tub was directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Greg Cavett and Andy Robin. I don't know if he's one of the Bee Gees. Is he one of the Bee Gees? Oh, no, that's Robin Gibb I'm thinking of. For some reason, when I saw Andy Robin, you know, I thought he was like one of the Bee Gees. I was like, hang on. Well, there is, there's Andy Gibb and Robin Gibb. Yeah, so. that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah. hang on, that doesn't make sense. Ha, 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 wearing Himalayan, Himalayan walking shoes. Ha, 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 sitting in the hot tub, hot tub. I don't know, that's what I was thinking. Um, okay. so During the time of the New York City Marathon, oh God, how do I live with myself? Um, During the New York City Marathon, Elaine has a Trinidadian and Toboggan runner. <laughs> I love that. Um, named John Paul, played by Jeremiah Burkett, as her house guest. John Paul's overslept and missed the marathon at the last Olympic Games in Barcelona, and Jerry obsesses with ensuring that it doesn't happen again. Jerry loses faith in Elaine's ability to get John Paul to the race in time after learning that she's using a faulty alarm clock that caused Jerry to miss a flight to Cleveland, and he, she has trouble setting timers. He attempts to persuade John Paul to stay with Jerry instead, but John Paul remains loyal to Elaine and resolves to stay with her. Meanwhile, Elaine is struggling to write a sufficient story for new Himalayan walking shoes in the Peterman catalogue. And just like she does with writer's block, she has cataglog writer's block, as Jerry says to her and monks. And she becomes increasingly stressed. Meanwhile, George has learned that by constantly looking angry, he appears to be busy with work. And have you ever done that, Steve? Like, have you ever pretended to be angry so people get off your back at work? Like, is that a thing? Uh, I've never pretended to be angry, but I've pretended to look busy when I'm not busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you so do, like, shuffling papers not, not, or typing on your keyboard or something? or Yeah, just various methods. Sometimes just looking like you're really fixated or concentrating on whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. um, even if you're just staring at, you know, a Google image search or something. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but I've done various things to make it look like I'm busy when I am not busy at all, even yeah. though I should be busy. Um, yeah, how about you? Oh, well, I have tried looking angry a couple of times. Like, I haven't done anything like you, but I've literally, a couple of times in my old jobs, I've sat at my desk and, you know, pretended I was angry. And then my bosses or other people just would look at me and then turn around straight away. So it's a good way to, you know, get people away from you if you don't want to feel social. It's nice. I remember one time, this is kind of related, I was staring at someone. Uh, for some reason, they were just really mesmerizing it sounds weird but i was staring at them and then they weren't too happy with the fact that i was staring at them uh -huh. and they actually said to me have you got a problem or what's your problem or something like that and they sounded a bit aggressive mm. I, I didn't feel unsafe but obviously um you know the situation could have escalated and just on the fly i said to them oh look i'm really sorry you just look like my dead brother <laughs> what? <laughs> and he said and he said and he said Oh, okay. Oh, you know, he was a bit. He was a bit he taken aback. Oh, geez. Yeah. 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 I said, oh, look, I didn't mean to make you, make you uncomfortable. You just look, look a lot like him. And I'm sorry if I stared. And he goes, oh, no, that's okay. No problem at all. And then he kind of walked away. So, <laughs> Jesus. You know, just thinking on the fly, because it, it, you know, sometimes when you're in those situations, you can just sense that if you don't de escalate it, it could go to a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, just, I just didn't want it to go to a bad place. So I just made up something that. Yeah, de-escalated it, made him feel awkward, and then he scuttled away, and then it was all good. You know, that sounds like a Seinfeldism. It sounds like something George would say, you know, if he's accidentally staring at someone on the train or something, and someone goes up to him. He's like, uh, you yeah. look like my dead brother. 
Yeah, he looked like my dead wife. <laughs> he looked like my dead wife. <laughs> and they're like licking envelopes on the subway, the other people. It's like, yeah. you remind me of my dead wife. That's how I she died. George going up to someone looking envelopes and being like, make sure that they're not the cheap kind. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, pay a bit extra, please. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, George appearing angry actually doesn't do anything for his work. And uh, Wilhelm fears that George is cracking under the pressure. And as a gift to George, Mr. Wilhelm sends him to meet some, with some visiting Houston Astros representatives to show them a good time. So the characters are called Clayton, Zeke and Gardner. And they're played by Leon Russum, Ernie Lively and Charles Cyphers, respectively. While drinking with the Texans, George picks up the habit of swearing from them, specifically Ben. Bastard and son of a bitch. Is that how they talk in Texas? Is it all like son of a bitch? If you're from Texas, let us know. Like, is that how you actually talk or is this a stereotype or just something that the Seinfeld crew came up with? I'd be pretty curious. See what you think. Yeah, I mean, in my, I mean, not that movies represent real life, but in my memory of, memory bank of movies, uh, characters, you know, from the South or from Texas seem to say, you know, you goddamn son of a bitch. Goddamn son of a bitch. Maybe a bit more than people from other parts of America. Yeah. So, you know, most stereotypes have some element of truth to it, but, yeah, uh, yeah they're probably exaggerating for comedy's sake. Fair enough. I could imagine um, also, I think whenever I think of Texan swearing and saying bastard and stuff, I think of, like, the wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin because he hails from Texas and he's all, like, yeah. uses crude language and stuff like your bastard and all that stuff i don't know he's just kind of i guess him and uh him and the astro guys have kind of a similar thing going on yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i was reading a i was reading a reddit thread the other day about uh non-australians perceptions of australia and australians Mm. and uh most people were like you know i look you you guys like to drink you guys travel a lot your accent's cool um you know there's a lot of racism in your country oh geez Uh, and, and a lot of them were like, I've never been to Australia, but uh, every every Australian I've met seems to be um, basically a Texan with a weird accent. So, you know, and Australians like to swear, so maybe they do swear more than other Americans. I don't know. But like Ivan said, if uh, if you're from Texas or you know someone from Texas, let us know. <laughs> you blurted Drango, you galah. <laughs> That's a Texan impersonating the Aussie, uh, the Aussie larrikinisms. <laughs> An Australian impersonating a Texan impersonating an Australian. What are we even talking about? That's like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. You know, he was like an Australian guy imitating an African-American guy. Wasn't that how, how it was? I haven't seen that film. I, I know I know of the film, but I haven't watched it, so I don't know. He was a multi-layered character. He was like a one guy who plays another guy who plays another guy. It's really crazy. Okay. Insane. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kramer buys a hot tub and spends as much time in it as possible until one night he falls asleep in the tub and the power goes out and uh, he gets really, really cold and he tries to raise his core temperature. Uh, George and Kramer go to the coffee shop where Jean-Paul and Jerry are, where jo- Jerry tries to convince Jean-Paul to stay at his place. Um, and he- Jean-Paul believes George's rampant swearing is uh, an Americanism. I guess that's how all Americans talk. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. Later in Elaine's building, John Paul calls a baby bastard, but it turns out the baby is, is illegitimate as the father's left. The landlord, played by Tom Barry, throws John Paul out after John Paul calls him a son of a bitch, forcing him to spend the night with Jerry. Jerry takes him to a hotel, but he believes that uh, after calling the wake-up call guy, he might have started an argument with him, so he's very uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. So uh, he takes him to Jerry's house. 
Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, after they're sleeping and, you know, Jerry sets up all the alarms and all that stuff at his place, uh, Kramer's new heat pump, which is more powerful, 16,000 BTUs, uh, <laughs> blows all the fuses in the apartment, causing John Paul and Jerry to sleep in. <laughs> and they just make the race in time. Um, meanwhile, um, the night before, Elaine spends the night looking for Jean-Paul and her search for him in a dark, desolate neighborhood inspires her story for the Himalayan walking shoes. At the race, Jean-Paul manages to take the lead and is in first place and he nears the finish line. But, uh, he, instead of getting the water from the officials, he accidentally gets a cup of hot tea from Kramer and you hear the screams of him being boiled by the tea. I just love that scream, you know, like five seconds after he gets the cup from Kramer by accident. It's just like, it's pretty, ah! It's pretty horrendous. It's and the looks on their face, I think, are very uh, suitable for, the, for, for what they've just done to poor Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. He probably gave him the poor guy like second degree burns. Yeah. <laughs> he's, sure. he's like disfigured. He just can't. He just can't. You know, get uh, get luck on his side and get in a marathon. You know, <laughs> even, when he's, even when he's less than a mile from the finish line, Kramer comes along and fucks it up for and him. Fucks it up for him. I guess when we talk about John Paul, we'll probably analyse. You know, why he ran late and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I, I guess you have some theories about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Uh, in the post credits, George is uh, remanded by Wilhelm and uh, goes to see Steinbrenner. And Steinbrenner thinks that George is so stressed that they, he suggests a hot tub. And uh, they're seen together relaxing in the hot tub in the credits. And uh, George is very uncomfortable as Steinbrenner rambles on. That's right. That's right. Other secondaries include uh, Susan Isaacs as Judy. Um, it's funny because Judy's actually Sherry as well, I believe. Um, yeah, I noticed that. Um, yeah. I, went with, I went with the script, mm-hmm. and uh, she scripted as Sherry. A Sherry. Really weird, because Elaine addresses her as Judy, so I yeah, don't know how yeah. it came about. So maybe it was just a mistake they didn't pick up when she was filming or something. Yeah. Or maybe maybe they changed her name after the script was written, or who knows. Who knows. And uh, the other character, Jeff Miller, or the actor rather, Jeff Miller, he plays the event guard uh, when John Paul and Jerry uh, go into the race, or when John Paul goes into the race, I should say. Uh, do you have any trivia facts about the episode, Hot, Hot Tub Steve? Yeah, I've got a few, actually. Yeah, me too. Uh, so the 1995 New York City Marathon, so this episode did air in 1995, mm. uh, was won by a German woman. Uh, sorry, it was won by German Silver of Mexico. Yes. I, that was very confusing to read. <laughs> by a German named Silver. <laughs> yeah. Silver Osman. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Silver Osman. Silver Osman. Um, in a time of two hours and 11 minutes. Yeah, pretty good time. Jeez, because what's a marathon like? Four, 20 something miles so that's like 42 k's kilometers or something uh, in the metric yeah, system. I, think, I think it's 42 k's yeah yeah so it's like 20 yeah. something miles yeah well i just know that half marathon's 21 so i guess full marathon's 42 which is 20 yeah 24 or 26 miles something like that interesting and uh, Stephen's scenes were shot for this episode with both larry the cook and the rabbi but they were deleted before before the show aired that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Houston Astros, uh, who the the, the, the three bastards slash some bitch, <laughs> that's who they work for. Yep. Um, they... They were portrayed as wanting to do talks regarding interleague play with the Yankees and actually moved to the American League prior to the start of the 2013 season. That's right. Thank yeah. you for finishing that Yeah, off. that's all right. Got you there. Everyone's probably like, that. Skype delay? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. And uh, 20 years after the episode aired, uh, the Houston Astros played their first playoff game as an American League franchise against the Yankees in the 2015 wildcard game, and uh, the Astros won 2-0. That's right. And, uh, and um, Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you go ahead. The joys of Skype, huh? 
And just a couple more trivia facts. So when Elaine asked Jerry how Judy would uh, know that Elaine had spoke to someone about her baby uh, and the, that the baby was born out of wedlock, Jerry retorts, maybe you should check with the rabbi, <laughs> possibly related to the scenes that were cut in the episode that you mentioned before. Yeah, it must be, most likely, yes. That's right. Uh, that featured the rabbi, uh, but his clip also refers to the rabbi in Seinfeld uh, in another season seven episode, The Postponement, mm. um, who repeats everything that uh, she confides to him. Yeah. Um, in that episode, so yeah, I think we so, have to do a "What's the deal?" on another rabbi pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, he's due he's for an episode. Been, yeah, he's in a few episodes. So, mm, yeah, yeah, um, he hasn't come up yet. Actually, he's sort of one of those secondary characters you forget about. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, he's not. He's not like he's good. I like him, but he's not. You know, I guess he's not a classic episode. Or, I don't know. He just hasn't made as much an impact as a lot of the other characters. Well, we've done an episode on Rachel Goldstein, who had probably the most minimal impact out of all the What's the Deals we've done. But, uh, you know, I think the rabbi will be um, worthy of an episode because of that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. um, and, mm. No, no, you go. Oh, I was going to say just my last trivia fact. So Jeff uh, Miller, who played the event guard, um, he also had roles in Seinfeld in episode uh, season six's uh, The Kiss Hello. Uh, as the man in the lift, and also in ep- uh, season eight's uh, The English Patient, he played a character named Neil. So we've done an episode on the kiss hello, but uh, The English Patient, not as yet. That's right. Mm. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Do you have anything that's else? It. No, that's it. I'm All right. Secondary characters. Let's do it. Jean Paul, Jean Paul from Trinidad and Tobago. Played by actor Jeremiah Burkett, he's known for appearing in the films LA Confidential and the miniseries The Tenth Kingdom. He's also appeared in TV shows such as MacGyver, CSI Miami, and Lucifer. Yes, that's right. Hmm, yes. Uh, so, obviously, he's from Trinidad and Tobago. He said he's Trinidadian American. and Toboggan. Trinitadian and Toboggan. That's for Elaine's thing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Trinitadian and <laughs> So good. I love it. One of my one of the best lines in the episode. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried, well, he was last, uh, well, he, he tried to compete at the, um, well, sorry, he did compete. Please excuse my rambling. <laughs> he did compete at the Barcelona Olympics, but he slept through his alarm. He did, like that's how, right. Yeah. I like how Jerry and George are trying to guess what 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 uh, happened with the alarm clock, mm. and it turns out to be the volume. The volume, that's right. <laughs> I know it's like the volume in the AM, wasn't it? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many um, uh, with alarm clocks. There's so many things that can go wrong. Mm. Um, you know, even with modern alarm clocks, as an app on your phone, there's you know there's 24 hour time. There's mm. the volume. That's right. Um, yeah, there's, there's just so many different things. Like I've had, I've set an alarm before when I was traveling, but I didn't have a SIM card in the country that I was traveling to. Right. So it, it didn't, uh, the, the time didn't change to the local time. Oh so no. The, the alarm was still set to the time zone from where I traveled from. God, it's 8 PM and it's still sunny. What's going on? Yeah. I needed to wake up early. I think it was during a stopover, um, on my way to somewhere and I, I, I planned to sleep in the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I'll set an alarm so that, uh, you know, I wake up and then I've got enough time to go to my next flight. But I slept through it. Um, luckily, I still had enough time. But, yeah, there's just so many things that can go wrong with alarm clock. Someone needs to invent a an alarm clock that is almost impossible to to fuck up, you know? Yeah, but how would you turn it off? Like, I, I mean, like, it would be impossible to, like, make a mistake on it, but... I don't know. What if there's a malfunction and it keeps ringing and you can't turn it off or, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about just a reliable alarm clock that yeah. goes at the right time no matter what the circumstance. You know, it localizes to times if you travel, it, it you don't need to worry about 24-hour time, the volume isn't an option, you know, just something, that, something that's foolproof. Maybe something that's like GPS activated. 
you know, yeah, satellite activated. Yeah. There is an alarm clock I know that you, you set and there's a little pad on the ground mm. and the only way to turn it off is to press on the pad with your feet so it forces you to get up. Yeah, sure. I thought that was pretty cool. God, so there's no snooze button. That's the worst. No, no, it just goes off, keeps going off until you stand up, and I think you have to put both feet on like a little pad to press it. Oh, God. To to, uh, to, to turn it off, which is pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, it'd be easy to just crash back into bed, but yeah. at least it forces you to get up. That's true. At least, yeah, you'll be able to like, you know, swivel your body and put your feet on the ground and uh, stop the alarm. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, now I, I noticed with John Paul, John Paul, he was – I think the the trauma of the alarm clock, um, you know, was 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 extremely deep. You know, yeah. He was obviously really, really, you know, I think he thought that his life was maybe over in Barcelona. Or, but, yeah, because Elaine did mention that he hadn't run for like four years or since the uh, yeah. the Olympics. So it yeah. obviously crushed him. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think he would have trained his whole life, and then his life's dream and all of his hard work being undone by an alarm clock would have just been. You know, the amount of control in all of those environments and all those situations where your training is, you know, regular, your diet, like you control every aspect of it and for it to all be unraveled and torn away from you by an alarm clock, that would be crushing on so many levels. So I understand why you would have given up running. Yeah, well, you know, it's really coincidental, Steve. So today at work, um, a former Australian Olympian, uh, Craig Mottram, he was um, a long-distance runner. He actually um, came in and did a talk at work, and he talked about goals and stuff. And it kind of reminded me, his his kind of preparation reminded me of John Paul's, you know. So, like, he, he said a story where, like, you know, he's won a lot of medals and, and championships and stuff, but there was a time where in the Commonwealth Games he finished um, third or second in the uh, five-kilometre run, uh, the, so the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne in, in 06, and he was running for the 1,500 metres and he had everything prepared, everything was right, and he, in the last 700 metres or 600 metres, he actually stumbled and he wasn't prepared for it and he was shattered for like a month, two months. Yeah. He couldn't get over be, it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it'd, that would fuck with you so much. I could imagine the heartache, especially with John Paul, especially, you know, you're prepared for the race. You've trained years, if not decades Training, mm. training, training, working, uh, you know, uh, being on the right diet and the right exercise regime, everything, everything's just right. And then the big day comes and you want to prove, like, like Craig Mottram was saying that he, you know, he, he took 10 years of preparation to throw, to show the world what he can do in three and a half minutes. There you go. In, yeah. You know, so Jean Paul, you know, it's crazy. I could imagine, yeah, I, sure. I can see the parallels. You know, it's just funny, like, he came in today and, and did a chat, which was really coincidental. <laughs> It's like, and you know, I watched this episode again when I came home, but it was after the talk. And I thought, like, after I watched the episode, I was like, John, Paul, and Craig, they have very similar outlooks, you know, Mm. in case things go wrong, what happens? So I can, I can definitely sympathize with, uh, with John Paul. For sure. You should put, you should have put your hand up. Was there a question and answer? There was, but I I didn't answer or didn't ask a question. (laughs) Did you see the hot tub episode of Seinfeld? And do, can you, can your life parallel John Paul's? Yeah, like, and then so he looks at me. What's your alarm clock situation? <laughs> what's your alarm? I should have said that. What's your alarm clock situation? And he would have said, looked at me and said, "You bastard." Yeah. Have you ever have you ever called a, a hotel wake up service and mistrusted the guy and thought that you started an argument and then you have to go to a different hotel? <laughs> and and also one other thing, Steve, that I I noticed with the Jean Paul Jerry dynamic. Do you think it's very similar to the Jerry Babu relationship, where Jerry yeah. the White Knight? so to speak, comes in and tries to save someone and then he makes it worse? Yeah, it's it's weird. It does have parallels because 
no, it's strange because Jerry rarely shows concern for other people, especially other people that really have nothing to do with him. But I guess maybe, you know, two times a coincidence, maybe three times a pattern, it's heading towards a pattern where he's helping out people from other countries who are just trying to, you know, get get their life into a better place. Yeah. He feels he needs to take them under his wing and, you know, be that white knight. But he, <laughs> the more he helps them, the worse it gets for them. It so, does. It's crazy. Like, yeah, the, I, one I, of the I, only I, times I, in the episode where he gives a shit about someone else, he screws it up. It's like Babu yeah. and, uh, and it's like, yeah. uh, like John Paul. Maybe that's what maybe that's what ger- uh, turned Jerry into such a jerk. Maybe he tried to be a really, really giving, caring person in his twenties, you know, before the show started. And no matter who he tried to help, even if it was you know a small amount of help or a large amount of help, it just made their situation worse. And he thought, well, maybe I can be better by just not inserting myself into people's lives. Yeah, that sounds nice. You, <laughs> you know, he, he still dabbles, but uh, it, it's still you know he's got some sort of helping curse, like a charity curse or something. <laughs> something, yeah. I think he just needs to get out of people's lives and uh, let them yeah. do their thing. That's it. That's it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's an interesting comparison. I didn't, I didn't make that, but that's you know, there's a lot of comparisons there. The more, tr- the more he tries to help, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. It was just crazy. Like watching it again for the third time this week. It's yeah. I, th- I was like, this is like Babu. This is like the cafe all over again. Yeah, and they're yeah. both. They're both. You know, even though um, Jean Paul Jean Paul's not an immigrant, he's just in America to run a race. He's still, uh, you know, someone who's probably lived a less privileged life from another country. Mm. You know, it's, there's that parallel as well that, you know, these are people who aren't, who didn't grow up with, with you know, access to, to, to privilege and opportunity like you would in America. Mm. So, yeah, you know, they've, they've come to America for, you know, temporarily or permanently, but they've both come there to change their life. Yeah. Um, you know, and Jerry's trying to give him a, a leg up and fuck him up even more. <laughs> even worse. And it's really, yeah. it's really interesting too, because Jean Paul, it's not like he's a marathon runner who finishes like 150th or, or anything. He, you notice how he enters the race late, probably like 20 minutes, 30 minutes later than everyone else. And he's all the way in first. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Can you imagine if he didn't sleep through his alarm? He woke up in Barcelona on a nice su- sunny morning in Barcelona, you know? lined up on the line and ran, he would have killed it in the marathon. He'd be a gold medalist. Well, I think that's probably why it crushed him even more than it would have other people because I think he's just a naturally gifted marathon runner. Mm, and yeah, he is. He, he definitely is. He, he knew he was going to win because he just knows that he's naturally better than everyone or he trains harder. You know, he feels he deserves it more and he can back it up with his results. So when those opportunities are taken away from him, either by – uh, a faulty alarm clock or a hot cup of tea. It's, like an ex- it's an extra layer. If you if you were like, yeah, I'm an average marathon runner, I'm probably going to finish 242nd, and then you don't finish for whatever reason, it's not going to be as disappointing. But if you know that you're probably going to win because you're the best on earth or you've yeah. trained harder than everyone else, mm-hmm. that's taken away from you, that's 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 more crushing, I think. No, so, it is, definitely, yeah. Like I said, it was just crazy when Craig Mottram was talking and he told us about the psychology of what happens if, you know, he stumbled next to another runner literally with on the straight, you know, and then yeah, it was finished sure. and, he, and he, he was the favourite to win the 1,500 metres. Yeah. Hmm. Now I'm thinking most most people I know, you know, not that I know many, but I have met people, um, you know, and you hear stories about professional sports people who train. A lot of them seem to get up really early and train sort of in the morning. Hmm. Uh, it's funny that John Paul, John Paul slept in anyway. You think his natural body clock would have woken him up you know, well before, I think, is it 8.43 or whatever time they, they wake up? Yeah. You know, but and then I'm thinking, well, maybe 
because he didn't get much sleep the night before. Maybe. On, you know, he went to bed later, so his body clock was out anyway. I'm guessing they probably got home by like midnight or one in the morning. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. He, and he didn't get his eight or nine hours sleep and he slept yeah. late. Yeah. It seemed to be pretty late because he was, he was definitely sleep deprived. He's so frustrated and all he wanted to do was sleep. He just want everyone to go away and <laughs> shut up and just leave me alone. I need sleep. Even if it's the New York Marathon. Yeah. yeah I felt really right. sorry for Jean-Paul. No, I, 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 I did too. You know, mm. and his situation got even worse, even by accident, by adopting, you know, son of a bitch and, and bastard. And then he kind of got other people into trouble. So, yeah, he seems to have just bad luck around him all the time. Yeah, he just doesn't know the American customs. <laughs> no, that's it. That's yeah. it. Um, I did notice as well, and I think uh, he is endorsed by Nike because I, I did see him wearing Nike at least twice in okay. the episode. Fair enough. Nice uh, product placement for the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Nike do have a lot of product placement anyway with Jerry's shoes and stuff. But, they do, uh, yeah, the white sneakers. Yeah, I, think, I, I think they're his uh, professional sponsor. Fair enough. <laughs> that I agree with. Yes. Now, do you think Jean-Paul Jean-Paul would have, uh, you know, given up marathon running after the tea? Do you think that would have just been enough? He's like, no, nah, it's too hard. There's too many. Like, it's just too crushing. It took me four years to come back, and now it's been taken away from me again. That's enough. He probably would have received severe burns. From the hot That's tea. True. I don't know if it would have caused permanent damage or, you know, at least, you know, burns. He would have been taken to hospital and maybe while he was recovering with bandages all over his face, he reassessed everything and said, every time, you know, I've got the talent, I've got the ability and whenever I try and do it, it, it fails me. What's mm. the point? Mm. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I reckon he would have thrown the talent. That was probably it. He probably became a motivational speaker or went back to Trinidad and Tobago and did some charity work or something. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but I think uh, I think he used his future well. He's just he, an unlucky he's bastard. Sort of person who would overcome crushing disappointment and turn it into a positive for himself again. Yeah, he's simply an unlucky bastard. He is <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I really like Jean Paul. Jean Paul. He's uh, he's a cool character. Yeah, I liked him too. He was good. I he found was... him funny as well. Like he, he didn't have many funny lines, but just the way he said stuff, I found him. Yeah, I just found him a good character overall. Yeah, I liked his mannerisms. I think they were really funny. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Clayton, Zeke, and Gardner, the, the bastards. <laughs> I guess we better talk about them together because they, yeah. they, you know, they they are even though they are separate people and they do have their own lines and seem like their own personalities. They they're always together. They are, yes. Yeah. So uh, Clayton, he was played by Leon Russum. He's appeared in the films The Big Lebowski, True Grit, and most recently A Quiet Place. He was nominated for an Emmy for supporting actor in a miniseries or special for 1991's <laughs> The Long Road Home. Huh. Yes, yeah. Emmy Award-nominated actor. Awesome. Yes, uh, Zeke, he was played by actor and producer Ernie Lively, known for the films Passenger 57, Turner and Hooch, and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> Some classic late 80s, early 90s movies. <laughs> it's such a big difference in filmography, like A Quiet Place. And <laughs> Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Speed. You know, by um, Leon Russell, you know, they're, they're considered like high, like culty sort of art films. Yeah, yeah. Stop or My Mum Will Shoot and Passenger 57 are not considered artistically good, I guess. Did you hear you the know? story of how Sylvester Stallone got the role in Stop or My Mum Will Shoot? I've read this before. I don't know if it's true. Like, it probably is. But uh, basically what happened was um, originally Arnold Schwarzenegger was meant to be in the role and he mm. read the script and he couldn't stand it. He said, this is terrible. You know, he was he was allegedly he was basically saying this script is crap, and the movie ended up being like a box office bomb. Yeah. <laughs> so him sure. him him and Sly Stallone had a bit of a rivalry in like the late eighties, early nineties. You know, the two big action hero stars. 
you know, yep. with Rambo and the Terminator and stuff. And uh, Arnie, he liked playing pranks on Sly and vice versa. And he said, oh, Sly, there's this movie which I, I'm not, I, I'm a bit busy with being involved in, but would you be interested in being in the role? And so he gave him the script and said, I think you'll like it. And then Sly accepted it and uh, the movie bombed. <laughs> It's pretty. Um, that's 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 like that's beyond a prank though. That's like trying to sabotage his career. <laughs> yeah, I know. Look, I don't know if that story is one hundred percent true, but it's just funny. It, it'd be perfect because, yeah. like I said, there was that Arnie Sly rivalry back back yeah, in that time. Enough, so, yeah, there was enough like hyper American testosterone in the eighties for both of them to be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they needed to to sabotage each other's careers. Yeah, it was funny though. It's <laughs> a good story. And uh, yeah. also, a uh, gardener, so the last of the bastards, uh, was played by Charles Cyphers. He's appeared in the films Halloween, mm, nice, The Fog, and Escape from New York. No, that's oh. that's a pretty good cinematography, a filmography sure. there. Yeah, yeah, not definitely. bad, not bad. Um, no, I really like Clayton Zeke and Gardner. Um, Me too. Just, I think they've just got a, you know, they're just a, a bunch of yahoos, really. They're just a bunch of cowboy yahoos who just want to drink and party and. You know, they. I think they drink when they wake up. They have whiskey for breakfast. They party all the time. You know, they just they just have a a love of life. They're literally the rich Texans, like in the yeah, Simpsons. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the you rich know, Texan. Yeah. Yep. I reckon they are business partners. Yeah, um, they have to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I didn't pick it up in the episode. Maybe it's mentioned by Wilhelm or Steinbrenner, but I didn't pick up whether they're the owners of the Houston Astros or whether they're just up, you know, sort of executives. I, I was know. under the impression that Wilhelm said that they were representatives from the Astros. I don't right. know exactly what yeah. they were. They were probably talent scouts or, you know, mm. in management yeah. somewhere. That's my guess. You know, the ones who pull all the strings. Yeah. Either way, they're definitely high up, and I can imagine them, you know, being. Uh, lifelong Astros fans, mm, um, of course, you know, and probably really good mates with the the owner or the CEO of the Astros as well. Mm-hmm. I reckon it's a really close an environment, and they're just towing that line of partying and drinking and being pretty loose, fun, fun guys. And they like taking or digging uh, into New York and maybe the other coastal cities around the US. They like taking a dig on, or you know, yeah, for sure. giving I them think, a go. I think- I think kind of like, you know, Australians or English people where a lot of our humour is just taking the piss out of other people. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, just sort of lighthearted and playful insulting. Yeah. Um, without being too harsh or personal. So, yeah, I, I really like these three guys. Yeah, I think they were really funny. Um, yeah, they love getting their drink on as well. And uh, George realises that their swearing is just part of their vocabulary. So George just rolls with it yeah. to try and get the deal. And he almost cuts the deal if Wilhelm didn't uh, walk past and cut off the phone. It would have been a done deal. Yeah, this would have been a pretty big success if George, um, you know, if it wasn't badly timed with Wilhelm walking past. <laughs> but I, I found it frustrating that, you know, when Wilhelm goes, get a hold of yourself and hands up the phone on him, mm. George is just kind of stunned. He doesn't explain. Like, he could have just easily calmly explained, like, no, no, I'm saying bitches and uh, – sorry, bastards and son of a bitches because they do, you know, just explain why he was swearing and that he wasn't abusing them. But that wouldn't have been funny, would it? No, 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 no. But it was, you know, so, you know, sometimes when things, it's like in, in horror movies where someone's getting chased and you go, just run the other way. Like, run out the, back, out the front door and they run yeah, upstairs. Die. Yeah. Just do, do something that isn't dumb. Yeah. And, and you won't, you won't be dead. It was kind of like that feeling of like, George, all you have to do is explain what you were saying and it would have been fine. But, you know, he, uh, he just, he just doesn't for whatever reason. He doesn't do it. He's a bit scared of Wilhelm. Yeah, definitely. And probably yeah. because he got that recent promotion as well. He's probably worried yeah. that the promotion will just get taken away. 
Yeah, true. But do you have anything else about uh, Clayton's Eden Gardener? Uh, no, I just really like the characters. I mean, they weren't in it for too long. You only see them in two scenes, but uh, I think they they nailed their roles quite well. Just, yeah, no, I really enough. like them. They were just I the stereotypical ain't rich Texans, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think if they were in it more, it would have taken away from them. They would have gotten a bit too much. So yeah. I think they were tastefully inserted into the episode. Yeah, just one a cup, two fingers of whiskey, I reckon, in the, yeah. in the glass. So it's more than enough. That's it. That's it. Less is more. Less is more. Uh, now, let's talk about Sherry slash uh, Judy. Uh, yeah, so she's played by Susan Isaacs, but I didn't get her acting credits. So Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Neither did I. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't have a lot of it, uh, um, a lot of notes about her, but she's obviously got a son who was born out of wedlock, um, and she's extremely offended by Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul calling her son uh, a bastard. But Jean-Paul doesn't mean it like that, though. He doesn't no, mean no, like no, a no, fatherless no. child. No, no, no. Yeah. But because of the situation and because she's sensitive to it, mm. she would obviously interpret it like that. So yeah. I understand it. That's I understand great. why she's bothered and why she was uh, upset with Elaine that, you know, she told Elaine in confidence. I got the impression that maybe she doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, you know, if she has to divulge that sort of secret to Elaine, you know, who's a neighbour and not really a close friend, that maybe she doesn't have a lot of people in her life. Yeah, Elaine's probably asked, you know, where's the father? You know, because mm. obviously in those times, you know, the nuclear family... You know, if you weren't part of a nuclear family, there was something wrong with you. You know, like yeah, I guess I think, in the I, mo- I guess in the modern times it's kind of changed, but I guess ba- even back in the nineties it was a bit yeah. taboo. You know, in the the non-nuclear family. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I mean, I don't. I think in the mid nineties it was less of a less of an issue, especially in a city like New York, where there's all sorts of different living situations and family situations. But yeah, mm. maybe maybe her maybe her background is one you know of conservatism and. You know, traditionalism, where you know, a, 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 um, you know, a, a family without a father or a child without a father is something that is kind of shameful. Mm. Um, you know, maybe that's based on her background. Maybe she was raised in a religious or you know, traditional kind of environment. You know, and she still carries that idea forward. Mm. You know, it's not really an issue anymore. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. 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 That's that's all I had about her. Did you have anything else? Ah, uh, no, that was about it. Yeah. So I think she's conservative, or you know, she grew up in a conservative household, and like you yeah. said, and yeah, she was married, and then father left for some reason, and that's it. She's a single mother. That's it. And she takes offence to John Paul, who means well. That's it. <laughs> Look Jean-Paul. at the little bastard. Or JP, JP. Yeah, and then that manager goes up to him and says, you, why are you harassing my tenants? Ah, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that's it. Boots him. <laughs> that's it, boots him. But I have a race tomorrow. <laughs> Poor Jean-Paul. He just can't get a break, can he? No, he can't. Everything goes wrong. That's right. They're all, they're all the secondary characters from this week's episode. The Hot Tub. Uh, why don't we take another break? And uh, after that, we'll talk about Seinfeldism, Seinfeldia, um, and where this episode fits and potentially the secondary characters fit in our uh, top 20 episodes uh, and characters. Uh, before we do, um, you mentioned that you wanted to talk a bit about Wilhelm. Oh, yes, I did too. Played sure. by Richard Hurd, the great Richard Hurd. Yeah, I. Uh, the only thing I had in this episode that I don't think we mentioned specifically in um, What's to Deal with the Yankee Stuff was that he seems to look after the accounting or the budgeting. Mm-hmm. I never knew what his job was. Yeah. Never made clear. Obviously, he's an upper management um, or maybe, you know, middle to upper management. But uh, he does mention specifically that he looks after the Yankees' budget. So I'm guessing he's something, you know, maybe the CFO or some sort of financial controller or he, something. He's definitely high up. Steinbrenner yeah. would be I his mean, boss. I but, that he was yeah. high up. I never knew what his job role was. You yeah. know, just that he was in management. Uh, George was his subordinate. 
you know, but what his actual role was. What did he? What, what team did he work in? What did he look after? But I think in this episode, it's clear that he looks after finance. I just don't think we picked that up in uh, in in the episode where we talked about it. It's, it never came up. No, no <laughs> and then no. he becomes a cleaner with the sunshine That's cleaner. Right. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to be in finance anymore. I just want to be a cleaner. I just, I just want to join want- a cult cleaning company. I don't want to have to think anymore. I want all my questions answered. All of you know, my life. My life is is easy. You know, the cult the cult takes care of everything. I just clean. They do it. <laughs> That's it. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so we'll come back. All that stuff that Stephen mentioned. Uh, that'll be on the other side of the break. This is, but I don't want to be a secondary character. A podcast where we talk about the secondary characters from the greatest show of all time. We'll be back. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> How many sweaters you got? Oh, four. Yeah, could I have a cup of tea? Boiling. <laughs> What's going on? I fell asleep in the hot tub and the heat pump broke. Water went down to 58 degrees. I can't get my core temperature back up. Your core temperature? Here, feel my hand. This son of a bitch is ice cold. So, Stephen, today we talked about Season seven's The Hot Tub. And out of our 72 episodes that we have talked about throughout the whole series, where does The Hot Tub sit for you? Uh, it sits at number 43. Okay, nice. Good. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I didn't think there were any weak moments in this episode. Hmm. There was nothing classic about this episode. There were no moments or characters or, or plot devices or, or scenarios in the episode that I think you would call classic Seinfeld. But I thought the whole episode was really solid from start to finish, um, you know, and no, no weak moments at all. I thought all the stories tied in really well. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem too far-fetched. Um, <laughs> For a season seven, it, it had like wisps of season eight and nine, didn't yeah, it? It had a hint. It had a, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. It had a hint of wackiness um, with the hot tub thing and, and, and just the alarm clock thing, you know, that's a bit a bit weird, but... Like Jerry in the in the um, in the hotel and just how obsessed he became about the alarm clock, but um, you know it didn't feel wacky to the point where it took away from the episode. So I yeah, nothing classic in the episode, but uh, really solid all the way through. Yeah, and I really like the 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 the, um, the trifecta of Zeke Garner and, uh, and Clayton, the bastard slash son of the bitches. That were the icy on the cake. The sons of bitches. The, the sons of bitches. That was the icing on your vegan cake. That's right. That's right. Uh, for me, very similar to you, Steve, number 38. Okay, so cool. I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, it was a good episode, but not many real classic moments. Probably, I guess the only classic moment would be Jean-Paul taking uh, Kramer's tea by accident. I think that kind of topped the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, very funny, very enjoyable, and, uh, yeah, it, it coasted along really nicely, and, uh, yeah, I think it's worthy of being in the top 50. For sure, definitely. Mm, yeah. Better, better than I remembered it. So yeah, me too. Nice surprise because well, I haven't seen this episode in a long time. Yeah, me too. A lot of episodes we've reviewed we haven't seen for ages. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how, like, looking back, you think, oh, I only really, you know, because I watched Seinfeld pretty consistently through my life. Mm. It's just one of those shows that you just consistently come back to, even when we're not doing the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there seems to be only maybe, you know, out of 170-odd episodes, maybe 80 or 90 of them are the ones that you rewatch. Of course. They're the, they're the cream of the crop. Mm. But these other episodes that are still good that you, you know, if you're just selecting a random episode out of a season list, you're like, oh, maybe I'll select this one that I've seen 27 times. <laughs> but I won't. You know, it, I, I think it just goes to show that you need to, uh, you know, watch all of them because sometimes you forget how good some episodes can be. And that's the great thing about doing this podcast, going back and watching yeah. all the episodes. You rediscover stuff for sure. You sure do. Uh, now, none of the secondaries are in my top 20, but uh, did John Paul the Bastards make your 20? 
No, none of them do. Okay. But uh, John Paul Clayton and uh, sorry, Clayton Second Gardner, <laughs> yeah. they would be sitting at number twenty-one and twenty-two. Oh, just they're just outside the twenty. Yeah, yes. I think if I think if uh, they had a little bit more, um, uh, like more fleshed-out characters, if they had their own individual little personalities, it's really hard to do when they've only got two scenes and they're you know a minute or less each. It's hard to sort of flesh out. But if they if they wrote them in such a way where they had slightly different personalities but still worked together, mm. rather than just being sort of three versions of the same person, um, I think I would have liked them a bit more to put them in the top twenty. But I just thought it was a bit uh, not underwhelming, but just I just wish there was more individuality within three people. Yeah, that's all right. Well, they are essentially one character, aren't they? Just th- yeah, three components. What, what yeah, thinking. yeah. I think if you just changed a few lines or just a few personality traits within their two scenes uh you know you could have individualized them just a touch more so that even though they still work together really well and they're still kind of the the trio you can still pick because i couldn't tell you if you just showed me a picture of clayton Zeke and gardner hmm. couldn't tell you who's who hmm. um you know i could if i watched the episode but just out of the top of my head but if if, if they were written a bit differently with a bit more attention, I think they could have been a bit more memorable as individuals. Yeah, I think they. I, I, I kind of disagree. I think they work well as like a group. You know, like I feel like I feel like they were written just fine. You know, they were essentially three components of one character, basically. That, that, that's yeah. the way I see it. I, th- I no, think no, that's fine. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. I just found them to be three really similar versions of the same character. Okay. Than- yeah. They didn't have enough individuality to be components of one character for me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's all good. But they're all good characters overall in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. Like I said, really enjoyed them. I just would have enjoyed them a touch more if they just had a bit of uh, individualism about them. And special mention to the Himalayan walking shoes. They looked really good on Julia Louis, didn't they? They did. They, they, look, they look very good. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Seinfeldisms, do you have anything? Yeah, I've got two, actually. Ah, um, sick. Two pretty good ones, actually. So. Yeah, I've got none, so uh, knock it out of the park, buddy. Awesome. So I was in St. Kilda on the weekend at the St. Kilda Fest, um, and I was walking. We parked um, far away from the festival because it's so busy, and we were just walking along to, to the festival. And uh, there's a, just on, um, on, on Beach Road, which is the, the main road by the beach if you're from there or if you know the area, there's a really beautiful um, couple of streets that have a lot of really nice old Art Deco houses. And as is kind of the style of the Art Deco houses, a lot of them have names, um, you know, and they, they tend to be like women's names, sort of like boats. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I looked up and there was this really beautiful uh, white, kind of off-white with a brown roof Art Deco house, and I was just admiring it. And I thought, I wonder what the name is. And I looked up and I saw the sign, and the, signs, <laughs> the name of the house was Rochelle. Uh-huh. And then, and Rochelle, thought, oh, Rochelle. But no shit. I've, I've actually put I'll, I'll put this up on our Bidwood Basque uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and whatnot as well. It's pretty good. Uh, it's got Rochelle. And then on the other end of the house, it said Rochelle. So the house is called, it's called Rochelle, but, you know, Rochelle, Rochelle. So I thought that was pretty cool. Brilliant. <laughs> and it actually ties into our uh, episode next week, Steve. We're doing the understudy with Bette That's Midler right. in Rochelle, Rochelle, the season six like finale. It. That's next week. So it actually tied in really well. That sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah. Perfect lined up. It would have been even better if I saw that next week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. It's life. Yeah. One, one uh, week second, here, one week there, you know, it's life. Yeah, that's right. Close enough. The second Seinfeld ism I have is I deleted a unused Gmail account through the week. Um, and in the process, you know, it gives you like 27 warnings. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you really sure? Are you sure? Sure. 
go back and, you know, come, go for a walk and think about it. Are you really sure? You know, it, it almost patronizes you to the point of like, yes, I want to delete this bloody thing. <laughs> right at the end, it said, once you hit confirm and you delete the account, uh, I can't remember what it said exactly, but it said something like all of your photos and all of your data and all of your contacts will be lost, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then it said yada, yada on the end. Oh, I did it. Nice. It did. Yeah. Yada, so, yada. so Google yeah, can't track like, you anymore. Yeah, I think it said all of your data, photos, contacts, yada, yada will be lost forever or something like that. So ah, that's, that, that's a shame. That's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. That's there you it. go. So, do you have Seinfeld here with you? Because you're uh, in the studio. I'm not. I sure do. Yes, in the HE Penny Packer Studios. So this week's Seinfeld trivia fact, it's about Michael Richards. Uh, Michael Richards won the most accolades for his role as Kramer. He got Seinfeld's first acting Emmy in 1993, and he'd go on to win two more, enjoying the rare company of Don Knotts, John Larroquette, Art Carney, and Ed Asner, not Asman, uh, it might be Osner, <laughs> as a multiple Emmy Award winner in comedy. Nice. Yes, there you go. So Michael awesome. Richards keeps really good company. He does, he does. He does, yes. That's it. And that's another episode for this week, isn't it? That's it, that's it. And you'll be uh, back in the studio with me next week. I will, I will. Good. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at peoplebasspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on social media uh, at peoplebass because our tag on everything. You can listen to us on every podcast service. Uh, if you want to really help us out, you can review us uh, and hit subscribe. Please. Uh, that would yes. be really awesome and you'll never miss an episode. Um, and finally, we are on Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash peoplebass. Go and check it out. Uh, and you'll be able to find uh, a few tiers um, and you can give us a few bucks and we'll give you a lot in return if you want to help us out. That's right. And if you are on Patreon, you can listen to this episode one week in advance before everyone else. That's right. Yes, indeed. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And we're going to see you in the H.E. Packer Studios next week for The Understudy from Season 6. So get your bet middler on. Rochelle, Rochelle. Rochelle, Rochelle. There'll be lots of shitty singing from you, I know. Let's walk from Milan to Minsk and uh, get ready for the episode, huh? Sounds good. Catch uh, you next week. Catch ya. Oh, yeah, almost, almost. Well, let's get that bastard, bring us another round, huh?